for all these years, I felt I was cursed with depression and anxiety. And now, for the first time, I feel like, like God blessed me with depression and anxiety because I've never felt more love in my life than how I could bond and connect with people like this. It's a different level to connect. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 113 of the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Payman, and today we have a really great episode with a new friend of ours, Jay Glazer. For those that don't know him, he's an amazing sports broadcaster for many, many years, and really, really just inspiring story of how he came up and how he got to where he, he's been able to get over the years. But what's even more interesting is a lot of the ups and downs that he's faced his whole life and how hard those down times have been for him. And over the past couple of years, he's really been able to open up about some of those challenging times and really share his experience, talk to others, open up. You know, for a guy that many people see as this tough guy, macho man type of person, I think, you know, he would not be someone that many would think would open up in that way, but him being able to do that is super powerful, and he's been able to share that story and have so many other people open up as well, which I think is amazing. He has a great book that uh, I just finished reading called Unbreakable, and he's turned that into an amazing gym and just really an amazing overall network of things he's trying to do to support the, the mental health ecosystem. So I really, really hope uh, everyone likes it. Please share, comment, post. Let us know what you think about the episode. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Jay Glazer. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Payman, and today we're joined by my friend Jay. Jay, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Great. Thank you for Appreciate being here. Appreciate you having me. Of course. So... You know, being a big sports fan, growing up in L.A., watching you over the years, I feel like there's, you know, you would be seen as like a guy's guy. Right. Uh, and, and then over the past couple of years, seeing you come out not only with the book, but really start talking about mental health in this much more open way, uh, I think is maybe counter to what people would expect. So, so I'm just yeah. curious, like with that, like what, what was that like inkling of like, let me share this um, that made you first want to start you know, talking more about it. About mental health? Yeah. I thought that made me more of a dude. I thought my vulnerability, you know, for all these years, I thought me fighting in a cage and me talking about football, and that's how I got my identity. And I, I almost created this character of the glaze, you know, when you see me on TV and, you know, just this funny guy breaking stories and blah, 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 going a million miles a minute. And I, I created it to kind of hide. Everyone knew I was crazy. And in fighting <laughs> in football, crazy is a badge honor. Yeah. But they didn't know how much pain I was in. And then I was just like, you know what? I'm going to talk about this because if I'm, I knew all my friends were crazy too. And I was like, man, we're just not talking about it. I'm going to try and kick that door down and, and lead the way for us to start having the conversation talking. I looked at it saying, no one's questioning my manhood. So I could talk about it. I could cry in the drop of a dime. No one's going to say anything. Yeah. And um, it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's changed my life ever since I've done it. And, you know, one of the things that really helps me, I call, I call my version of my mental health issues the gray my earliest childhood experience, I don't know any other way to wake up. Uh, every single day of my life, I wake up in this gray, and it freaking sucks. It's just it's not something I signed up for. And I, I know people go, how could you, what? Your life is great. My life is great. But between my ears, 
sucks. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't sign up for that. And um, I think in today's day and age also, it started getting worse and worse for me with social media and, you know, the, all the data is taken up in our brain. Man, how do we not think our lives suck, right? And all the crap we see on Twitter, and I started getting worse and worse. And I was like, I got man, I got to start doing something. And I started, you know, speaking up and talking up for myself. And But also leaning into my friends like, man, I'm... I don't want to put this mask on anymore. Yeah. Right? If I'm struggling, I want to tell someone. Yeah, yeah. But it's the, like in, in, if I'm in a fight corner and my eye is swollen, I'm going to ask my coach to help take away my swelling. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to keep it quiet. I'm not going to hide it from. Why would we do that with mental health? If I break my arm, put a cast on it, and I brag about it. I ask everybody to sign it. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I brag about my physical scars. Why am I not bragging about my mental scars? I want to get all of us to start bragging about our mental scars. Yeah. It makes yeah. us different. Difference good. Yeah, and it's this weird thing because when you can't see it, you know, it seems yeah. so much scarier to talk about, I think. Yep. Like, I heard you talk about it with, uh, with Lewis, Lewis Howes, on yep, yep, yep. Uh, the physical versus mental scars. Something we always talk about also, I think, especially for guys. You know, guys want to talk about, oh, I broke my leg going off this jump. Right, right, right. <laughs> but they don't want to talk about, like, their feelings or right, being sad right, right. or whatever. So um, I think it's a big change. You talk about the gray, uh, and, you, and I've actually heard you bring it up a lot. Like, yeah. when was the first time in your life that that concept or even just, yeah. like, that feeling came to be? It's funny. I went and did, like, a medical treatment. And I, I've tried everything. I've been on, I'm on my 30... Fifth, sixth, and seventh medications: one for ADD, one for sleep, one for um, one for ADHD, one for sleep, one for um, depression, anxiety. And I'll, you know, always kind of try stuff, whatever that I can. I, I was kind of going through this thing and like a psychedelic thing, and I and I was like, I went through this like gray maze, and, and I came and I saw this blue, and I was like, and I started like smiling from ear to ear, and then I started crying. And the therapist said, "Why are you crying?" I said. Because I realize my whole life has been in that gray, and I feel bad for that kid mm. who's had to spend his whole life in the gray. And, it, and it's also like the gray is, it's a, like you wake up and there's like these chains are pulling you down. And, and I feel it physically. I feel it on the left side of my gut. I feel it behind my rib cage, and I, I feel it in my joints too. And when I'm really feeling it, yeah, yeah it's, and for me, it's, um, before I came out and started talking about it, it was a lot harder for me to get out of bed every day. But it's still a decision I have to make every day is to get out of bed. And it's still a struggle. And now I've learned a lot of things. Now that I've come out, I've learned so many different things of you know, how, to, how to deal with this a lot better. But the number one thing I've started to do is just talking to people. I never did. And the first time I did it, I went down. I was going to the, the Super Bowl in Tampa. So it was that four years ago, I think, three years ago, three years ago. Yeah. And um, I called Rondé Barber and... To play for the Buccaneers, obviously going to the Hall of Fame now, and two other friends and our little crew down there. I said, hey, man, um, I'm coming down, need to have dinner. And they all said they were busy. And I said, no, no, no. I need to have dinner tonight. Yeah. I'm struggling. They're like, what? You? I said, man, I'm struggling. I need to have dinner. And all three broke off their other plans, and they were <laughs> there for me. And two of them are like, oh, man, us two. Yeah. I'm glad you're saying this. And my life is now filled with... Me too, Me too, which yeah. is beautiful. And growing up as a kid, like, when did you even figure out, like, you were, you were feeling this maybe more than yeah. others versus this is just how everyone's feeling? Um, I always felt damaged. I always felt, you know, if I want to say something wrong, yeah. but definitely not. I felt damaged. It felt like, man, why am I up all night long worrying? And, and I didn't call it anxiety back then. But yeah. 
worrying and thinking, plot and plan and thinking, plot and plan, worrying and worrying and worrying, and I couldn't sleep. And man, why can't I get my emotions under control? And why is there a lot of crying growing up? So and it just continued. And, and that's what I'm saying. I, I've now built up this kind of warrior, Jay, if you will. Um, so now it's like, okay, yeah, if I cry, <laughs> what you going to say? Yeah. <laughs> and now it's, you know, again, I think it makes me more of a man. I think, you know, vulnerability is true strength. These muscles, man, we can all build those up. But vulnerability, it's, it's true strength if you, and it's not to be a cliche. It's funny, when I first started saying that, people were like, oh, that's so beautiful. Now it's like, ah, oh, it's cliche. Vulnerability <laughs> strength, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I guess like growing up, like high school, then going yeah. into uh, trying, were there like childhood things that you think could have tied to what you were experiencing or you think it was just sort of the hand you were dealt, you know, in the genetic lottery when you were born? Of well, like, my, gr- my mom just told me recently, oh, yeah, I've suffered from anxiety my whole life too when I was on medication and so did your grandmother. I'm like, that, can I curse on this? Mm-hmm. Fuck, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks for telling me now. Like, yeah. Thanks a lot. Like after the book, after all this stuff, yeah. like, you feel, I mean, so I guess it's a hand I was dealt. Yeah. And then, like I said, I, I don't know. I just know I've never felt any other way. Yeah. So it's not like there was some big traumatic moment yeah. in my life, but I always felt always felt unworthy of being loved. That's a heavy burden to carry as a kid, and it's a heavy burden to carry as an adult. Listen, I just got engaged for, the, like, I'm happily in love for the first time in 53 years. I've been married before. It didn't go well. You know, when you don't feel worthy of being loved, you tend to push away and... You sabotage, you feel like it's going to go anyway, so you might as well ruin it faster. And I cause a lot of chaos. I'm great in chaos. Yeah. I suck in calm. I'm terrific in chaos, which is what allows me to thrive on TV or, you know, coach in a cage and, and things like that. And it's, um, but when you're unworthy of being loved, that's, that's a, man, that's a, that's a heavy thing to carry for your entire life. And it's, but again, when I wrote this book, Unbreakable, how I turned my depression and anxiety into motivation. Because I couldn't feel that love from the inside out, I realized I was kind of blessed with this depression anxiety because it forced me to go do all these big, great things and be the first minute-by-minute breaking news guy for football in America and be on Ballers and the first host of an MMA show in America. And, you know, I've done a lot of firsts and um, I've done a lot of great things, thank God. But because of that, it's forced me to go do that to try and get some love from the outside in. Mm. And work on myself to hope to learn how to love myself from the inside out, what it's like. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm a work in progress, but I'm kind of hoping it's they can meet in the middle. Yeah, and and you talk about the work in progress thing, and and going back to Lewis's show, you still said you didn't feel like you were worthy of that yeah. love. Do you still feel that today? And do you feel like it's gotten at least mm-hmm. closer to feeling that worthiness? Yeah, it's better than it had been. I still feel the sky's going to fall all the time. That's the other thing that happens, is you wake up and you feel like sky's falling, everybody hates me. You know, I talk in the book about you got to lean into your teams, and I do now. And now, like, I'll be at Fox NFL Sunday, and w- when I'm starting to kind of spiral, Howie Long will go, hey, 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 we love you. No one hates you. We're all here for you. We're, we're you good, right? In the past, I wouldn't say anything. Now I know t- to tell them, yeah. uh-oh, it's coming. The beast is coming out of the box. I'm struggling here. And just to be able to tell them, allows me to, to calm down and get those roommates in my head to start talking a little bit nicer to each other. I would, I would be in a cage with, like, Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell beating the dog shit out of each other. And then after, we would sit and cry at each other about our lives. People walk past me like, wow, 
these guys really beat each other up in this game. <laughs> Not knowing we're crying about our feelings. Yeah. So if I can cry about my feelings to these cats, I could definitely do it in front of the rest of the world. Yeah. And, and I thought it's, it's time. It's important. It's a scarier world than we'd ever lived in. God blessed me with the ability to communicate. I'm not afraid of what anybody thinks. It's kind of like my superpower. So I'm able to talk about it a lot more. And, you know, like I said, I, you know, we, we talk about mental health, but I don't think anybody really gave it words. Mm. I wanted to describe it and give it words so people could start having the conversations like I did with my friends in Tampa. Yeah. Like I did with, with Howie and with, with Chuck and Randy, where people are now telling me for the first time in my life, in 80 years, I had a grandmother say, first time in my life, I'm going to know to tell my husband and kids and grandkids what I've dealt with. Or girl dad saying, I now understand and can have this conversation with my girl. Or like kids with their parents and husbands and wives. I mean, and friends, it's just been, it's been incredible. It's been beautiful. Yeah. It's, been, it's been really amazing how many of my friends have turned to me now and said, man, thank God I thought it was just me. Yeah. And yeah. I think the more we could put it out there, and get people to know you're in the majority. We're not in the minority. Those yeah. of us with mental health stuff, and you don't have to have mental illness, but we're all going through something. Right? Yeah. I said, you know, you don't have to have, my, my level's clinical, so I guess that makes me an expert to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. My suffering, not my scoring. But Instagram, Facebook makes us think we're all left out of things. Our lives suck. How come my meal doesn't look like that? How come my car doesn't look like that? Why does my body, how come I'm not at that party? And that is one second of the day. Mm. So it's highlights. We're comparing ourselves to highlights, not real life, not the adversity that all of us have to go through to get to where you want to go through. No one's posting about their adversity. And on Twitter, you know, hurt people hurt people. People are so hurt these days, they're trying to hurt you even more on Twitter. (laughs) And we're seeing it a thousand times a second. So we're all going through some shit these days. So again, the more we could talk about it, the less shitty I hope our gray will feel. Yeah, I, I feel like for something that doesn't feel tangible, putting mm-hmm. words behind it, like you said, is yeah. like the first time someone can relate. Right. Because right. when you say mental health, you have this like right. negative feeling already, right. and then you're like, no, I don't. And what's talk it mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, and it's oh confusing. schizophrenic. No, I'm yeah. not talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do have 17 personalities, I'm not talking about that. Yeah. But no. <laughs> and, it, and it is this spectrum, like you said, like from the from the clinical to to the everyday person who's yeah. going through something today or this week or next month, or it doesn't discriminate in that way. And, and, I feel and then like, the suicide epidemic now yeah. is the same thing. Like people are so, feeling so damn left out yeah. and so hurt. And I always warn people whenever someone commits suicide, be careful your crew because it's the power of suggestion. They go, well, my life sucks, and Johnny just killed himself, and everybody's saying how much he loved, they'd love Johnny. I'm going to do the same thing. Mm. And it's, it's just it's gotten out of control. It's gotten out of hand. And, you know, like I said, we, we've, we've got to figure out a way to be a lot more compassionate to each other, a lot more empathy, and stop just showing our freaking highlights. Like, adversity is what got me where I am. Mm. It's the biggest gift you could have. And there's no way to put your highlights of adversity on oh. social media. Yeah. Right? You're not going to sit there and go, fuck, I was rejected 18 times today. No one says that. But that's the real world. That's yeah. what really happens. Yeah. And do you think that that adversity internally that you've been facing your whole life sort of also fueled everything mm-hmm. externally? And then you've somehow connected these two things where it's like, I don't feel love, so I'm going to work extra hard and make sure yeah. people love me right. externally. Yes. So it's like, you know, it's like the gift and the curse and everything in yep. between. Like, how have you tried to rationalize that with yourself now so many years later? The last line of my book, and I hope everybody buys it, 
and we'll still buy it despite this. Yeah. <laughs> the last line was, for all these years, I felt I was cursed with depression and anxiety. And now, for the first time, I feel like, like God blessed me with depression and anxiety because I've never felt more love in my life than now I could bond and connect with people like this. It's a different level to connect with, yeah. with people. And, like, I, I'll give you a great story. My best friend is, since 1993, is Michael Strahan, um, who I refer to affectionately as my baby sister. <laughs> and I never told him, ever, when I had an anxiety attack or the depression was killing me, and we were, let's say we were going to go out, I'd always pop some Vicodin and some and drink and would often lead to me getting in trouble and him trying to get me out of trouble, and then me and him fighting over it. He and I used to fight like crazy. Yeah. We were like John C. Riley and Will Ferrell and Step Brothers. Like, we're known for our fights. Yeah. We got to fight in Vegas one time. I had my hand around his throat. His throat he had his hand around the back of my head, and the, we were at Club Marquee, and the bouncers come running run over, and they see it's the two of us, and we're so well known for it. They go, let him work it out. Let him work it out. And the other patrons are like, let him work it out? What do you mean, let him work it out? These guys... Yeah. Everybody else gets thrown out of the club, and they're like, let them work it out. I've actually run into people who were there that night since, saying, it was the craziest thing we ever saw. You two were just going at it. Yeah. And like, we we're like the Hanson brothers from Slapshot, and it was fine. Well, I never told them. And after I, I wrote the book, but before it had been published, it was November, um, it was like two weeks before his birthday, and we were supposed to go out to a restaurant in L.A. It's the first time I ever said, hey, bro, I can't go out tonight. The beast just, just got out of the box. And he said, what do you mean? I said, man, it just got out, man. I said, I am like, that gray is dark, sludge, disgusting gray. Like, it's hard for me to move right now. And I'm laid up in bed. So, and again, for people to understand it, yeah, sometimes it lays you up in bed. Yeah. Okay? It does that. And he said, oh, man, you want to talk about it? I said, uh, no, not tonight. So you want me to come over? So I'll just be there. I said, no, I just kind of, I'm going to sleep this one off. And uh, we'll chat about it tomorrow. And he said, why have you never told me? And I said, I don't make up the rules of this thing. For whatever reason, with you, I felt ashamed. And he said, yeah, but I could have been there for you as your best friend for 30 years. You took that away from me. Man, next time I had an attack like that, I was with him in the Bahamas, with my fiance, Rosie, him and his family. I was in the bed. He was out on the golf course. I was like, fuck, bro, the beast just got out of the box. He was like, okay, I'll be, I'll be back in a little bit. We'll, we'll get through it. And, man, like, think how beautiful that is. But, man, for all those years. Like, think, think how much stronger that makes our, my best friend, our friendship got stronger and better because I finally said something. Yeah. And now he says something and talks to him. And then he tells like, he now knows how to deal with other friends he is who deal with this, yeah. which is cool because he'll yeah. hit me up about it and say, one of my friends said this, one of my friends, one, you know, I told them something you had said or I showed them something you had done or one of my friends was saying, hey, can you thank Jay because now, and they told Michael and, you know, he's now able to deal with it, which is great. And how did you do it for so long where, like, even your best friend didn't know? Because well, I was always this, the glaze, yeah. you know? And then when I was feeling bad, I would turn into fighter glaze. So it was, uh oh, it's just not going. Just got, let's, start, not, let's not go near him, yeah. right? So I kind of had either the really happy-go-lucky, over the top, the guy you see on TV, or I want to fight you, type of dude. Yeah. So either way, it was hidden. And the panic attacks that you've had since you were four or five or six. No, no, they started uh, 2005. 
was the and first one. So the first, well, I shouldn't say that. First anxiety attack on TV. Okay. It was 2005 in an empty Raiders stadium. No one in there but me and a cameraman. Nobody. And I was doing a report, a kick-ass report for Fox NFL Sunday, and then I was going to work the Raider game later in the day. And all of a sudden, man, freaking walls start caving in. I'm, on, I'm in the middle of the field. Walls start caving in. Start losing my breath. Start laboring out. I'm talking. My hands start shaking. My eyes start going back and forth. I start sweating to where you could see it on TV. And I thought I was having a heart attack. I'm just like, oh, God, please not on TV. Like, yeah. <laughs> it could be after or before, just not on TV. And then it happened the next week and the next week and the next week. We didn't talk mental health back then. So we didn't know what an anxiety attack was. I was getting my heart checked out for 12 years until I heard Terry Bradshaw, my teammate, talk about it one day. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's what it is. That's what I got. What do you but say? for 12 years, he's like, yeah. He goes, yeah, little buddy. Oh, yeah, this happened all the time. And I'm like, oh, like, but I, I didn't hear anybody describe it until he mm-hmm. did. So that's 12 years later. And um, in like 2017, imagine that, yeah. right? So once I came out with this book, and I've kind of made this circuit talking about it also, the number of people said to me, oh, the highest, most high-profile people on television and radio and sport, oh, that's what it is. Okay, yeah, and, and I've always told everybody, you're safe. Like, the first thing I tell myself when I'm having this, I'm safe, I'm good, I'm not going to die, I'm good. And then I start kind of wrestling with my abuser. I start, so as I'm talking to you at home, I've kind of got it down now to a science why I could talk to it, tell him to fuck off. Yeah. And I've got it down pretty good now. And, I, and I, I'll push out, like, laughter helps me a lot. So I'll push out a joke as fast as I can. I always like to say, if you see me push out a bad joke on Fox early, I'm having a panic attack, but I don't really have any bad jokes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, but have you found that it's usually on TV that, that, it, that it happens to you most, or it's just... Yeah, anytime. Like, yeah. So then it became habitual. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't get why it would happen... On TV, because that's chaos for me. I'm great in chaos. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll sit there across from somebody in the cage, and we're like, ah, I'm good. And we could be done training, and we could just be hanging out and you know, our Norma Tech room at, at an unbreakable performance and chilling, and all of a sudden, <gasps> it comes on. And just, so I don't know when it's going to come on. I just know I'm not dying of a heart attack now, which is a, that alone is one of the most valuable things I could have ever learned. Because it's, man, it's scary as hell. Or you're driving in a car, yeah. and all of a sudden, you start, and like, oh, my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crash. And, and the problem, too, is my vision starts caving in a little bit. So it's scary. So now I, I've learned breath work to get myself through it. I've learned to call someone, to tell someone. Got kind of this meditation. Like I said, I make a joke as quickly as I can. I laugh as quickly as I can. So I've got, a, I've got things now that I could, I could deal with a lot better. And you talked about going to therapy since you were very young. Yeah. What role has that played? Yeah, my parents took me to the therapist like I was the fucked up one. <laughs> yeah. Like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all need to look in the mirror too, you know. I come in now and I talk to, to sports teams and leagues. And I tell them all, you guys have got to start taking your mental health more re- reactively. It's too reactive. You got to start more looking at like your yeah. more proactive, yeah. like your physical officer said. You guys don't just run forties when you feel you're getting slow. You don't catch passes when you think you have the drops. You do it all the time. Yeah. Why wouldn't we do that with our mental health? Because we just it's not ingrained in, mm. for us to do yet. But yeah, I talk to somebody almost every day, and I have like three therapists. I got Ty Monk over in Thailand that I zoom with. 
course, I, I assume with the Thai monk. Um, <laughs> I have a couple others that I deal with that are phenomenal for me. And then I have, like, friends that I really lean into. Other authors like John Gordon and Lewis Howes, like you're yeah. talking about, Ed Milet, that, you know, I'll kind of, you know, uh, you know, bounce stuff off. And, like, my guys like Randy Couture, great. The, the guy who I lean into as my therapist, as much as anyone, is The Rock. Yeah. And he wrote the forward for my book, and he said, you're going to be a voice for all of us in the gray, him included. Yeah. And he now talks about it. He's come out and talked about his depression. You know, there are therapists, they're clinical, that I feel we should all use as, as coaches. Yeah. And, but, but I also tell them there's not enough therapists yet for all of us. Mm. So in the meantime, we got to lean into each other. We have to be each other's therapists. Yeah. And I tell these sports teams, if you can lean into each other, your brother's on your right and left, think how much closer you guys will be. Yeah. Think of what that'll do for you as a unit as opposed to those that you're facing on Sundays. Yeah. And someone like The Rock or you, I think a lot of people also have this misconception that once you're famous or once you made it, those problems yeah. go away. That was the biggest shock for me, is I thought once I made it and I was financially okay and, you know, you have fame and fortune, I thought it was going to be rainbows and unicorns. Mm. And I remember being on set at Fox and Bell Sunday. Man, I'm standing by the G-wall, we call it. I'm sitting there saying to myself, why the fuck is this not rainbows and unicorns? What's going on here? Like, what happened? What I learned is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is the journey itself. And when you do make it, and I've had people go, oh, shut the fuck up, Glazer. <laughs> Life is way better with money. No, paying bills it can be better with money. Your bills get higher, but also I had nothing to lose before that. Mm. So, And also, look, I want people to understand I've been on both sides. Yeah. I went from broke to unbreakable. Yeah. I was making 9450 bucks a year living in New York City, trying to make it full-time as a New York Giant reporter, NFL reporter. 89, I got my start. 99 is when I got my first full-time job. I got a couple others that they all went bankrupt or bounced checks or didn't pay me all throughout, but, oh, which was awful too. Strahan drove me back into the city every single day from Giant Stadium to New York. And he wasn't even living in the city half that time just because I couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford um, subway and bus fare both ways. And I just said, I'm just going to get rejected more than any human being in the world. Constantly going to be relentless. I ain't got shit to lose as it is. So I'm just going to keep going and going and going and be willing to be knocked down more than anybody else until I get it. So being able to eventually pay your bills, yes. It doesn't, I will tell everybody this, when you get there, that fear that you cannot pay your bills does not leave you. Mm. Never leaves you. That monster is always there. And, I mean, fucking Rock thinks he's going to be homeless next week. He does. That's why he works so hard. He thinks he's going to have seven bucks in his pocket next week. I tell my friends like that, like, fuck him, let him cancel you. You got all this money in the bag. Go enjoy your life somewhere. But, no, you, you have that fear, and it's how eventually can you tame that fear and learn how to exhale. And that's part of mental health also. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, my, listen, my wallet's not an antidepressant. Yeah. And that depressed me to find that out. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought like it was going to be, and it that. wasn't. And what was the, like, the inspiration for you to, to open up the gym? So I had a couple fights early on, uh, like the minor leagues and mixed martial arts, back when it was still called human cockfighting. And, you know, it was, uh, it was banned on TV, I think, back then. And I know when I fought in Jersey, there weren't unified rules. So for a while, we fought in Atlantic City, boardwalk hall, and they would call us together at the rules meeting and they would yell out rules you and your opponent would have to like agree 
Hey, do we want to do soccer kicks to the head? Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, Glazer and uh, yeah, this guy want to do soccer kicks. So you want to do elbows? Uh, they want to do elbows. You want to do head stomps? You want you know you want to do knees to the head? You, like there was no unified rules back then. Yeah. So my first day at Fox, I came in. I just won a, a tournament, and um, I came in. My eye was shut. My foot was broke. My ribs were broke. And David Hill, who's the chairman of Fox, said, "He's Australian. He said, what the fuck just happened to you?" I said, I just won this uh, thing called the World Submission Fighting Championships. He said, I don't know what that is, but you'll never fucking do it again. I said, well, I'm clearly not on TV for my looks. What's the difference? And um, I kept trying to compete. I kept coming and busted up. And one day they're like, listen, I, I came in one day to host a show with Eddie George, Tim Brown, and Jason Seorn. And, and my teammate at the time, Jamie Varner, was getting ready to fight Benson Henderson for the lightweight championship of the world and the WEC. And... We didn't have, I was just, I'm a southpaw. We didn't have a lot of southpaws in the gym. And one day of practice, Jamie broke this bone, like right under my orbital bone, and then knocked out the front tooth right here. And another guy named Tim McKenzie gassed my head from my top of my, like the crown of my head down to my eye. And I had to go and host a show. I, I walk into Fox, and I, I'm like, like this, you know. And the makeup artist goes, are you fucking kidding me? I said, well, just, you know, put your makeup on it. She's like, you're missing a tooth. Like, what are we supposed to do here? <laughs> so I hosted the entire show with my lips like this. Hi, Jason C. and Jay Glazer, Eddie Torres, Jason C. and Tim Brown. And uh, <laughs> the boss has called me in and said, hey, we're all about your fight career. I go, really? He goes, yep. You come in with so much as a hangnail again. You're off our air forever. So I had to learn how to start doing stuff. So I, I needed this. I felt... I love the fight community. Mm. Like, man, these are my brothers and sisters. And for a long time, I felt like I was on the island of misfit toys. They did too. And so we fit together. We're in a cage. That's where I felt like I belonged. And I couldn't stop. I heard Nate Diaz say one time, the sport institutionalizes you and in a good way. Mm. It does. It gives you these bonds. So I had to learn to start coaching guys. And I learned how to start coaching NFL players. And first guy we ever coached was a was a long snapper from the Kansas City Chiefs and a part-time DN. And, man, we coached this guy up out in Arizona and took 25 pounds off his frame, got his hands whizzing, got, man, got, man, he may have not thought he was the baddest SOB in the, in the world, but we got him thinking that he was. And he went out and I was Jared Allen. He got 15 sacks that year and oh, wow. started talking about me and, and MMA and what it did for him. And then everybody called and said, whatever you did for him, do it for us. And, uh, talked to Randy Couture and I said fuck I don't know what we did for him but we better come up with something (laughs) so we created the first mixed martial arts cross training program for pro athletes and we were bouncing around using other gyms and eventually I said you know what the the athlete model is just too seasonal and then Stray and I went to Equinox and (laughs) the only way you're going to get better by working out is if you struggle right don't just go in there and look good and do stuff you're you're good at you're never going to get better so we literally were just doing a warm-up set, and someone had videoed what we were doing and put out there, bro, I thought these guys would be stronger than that. And I was like, fuck, we can't do this. Like, I can't check my ego at the door here. So I said, man, let's go open our own place. And I opened up Unbreakable up, up on uh, Sunset and kind of made it the Soho House of Training. And it, But it's not a gym. It's, it's a community. For me, I talk how I need my teams for my mental health. That's a place where, like, the rest of the world is scary. That place isn't. And, you know, you'll be in there, and we, we train together. Probably the only gym in America with, in America with no mirrors because I don't want anybody's back turned to the rest of the team. 
and it could be me, you, Wiz Khalifa, like I said, Randy Couture, Chris Pratt, uh, the head of this agency, head of that agency, Brad Slater, who we talked about <laughs> WME, all these different, all together, yeah. right? All training together, men, women, and you feel like you have this team, and now you feel like you have this, it's just a badass team behind you when you walk outside our doors, and that's what's beautiful about, about Unbreakable. Yeah. It's, it's a community. Yeah, it's amazing. It's not a gym, it's a community. And it builds that team you're talking yeah, about, Yeah, absolutely. Right? And like I said, at one point I had a therapist in there, Look, if we could, and Troy Aikman said this, if you can make working out and put it in a pill, it'd be the greatest antidepressant yeah. in the world. So we already know that, but even days when my body hurts and I'm struggling so much, I'll still show up sometimes where I can't work out just to be around the community. Mm. And then I start laughing and I start feeling better. And then, plus we do, here's the other thing we do over there. We, we rehab you as hard as we train you. So our whole thing over there, is we're going to keep you healthy first and foremost. And I think people are afraid of us because it's you know, me and some of the fighters are and this and that. No, no, no. We have a woman in there. She's older than me. I'm 53. <laughs> and she's down 134 pounds. Wow. And she is kicking ass and just phenomenal. And yeah, I forget if she's – I don't remember if she said she wants me to use her name or not, but so I'm not going to say it. But yeah. she is so beautiful and so – think about that, though. Being, being in that age and then going on this journey – losing 134 pounds because she likes to be there all the time. She's putting the work in, and all we're doing is everybody else is lifting her up and encouraging her. And you always know, say Tom Brady works out, 52 other people works out pretty well for him. So we train as a team. You're getting personalized attention or you're doing it as a team. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. That's yeah, really cool. And, um, and congrats. Thank you. You know, I think for our audience, especially like on the younger side, like you said, social media plays such a big role oh. in how you view yourself. You know, and I think we, we try to talk about how everything should start internally, like, and, and working on that first then allows you to be the best version of yourself. You know, with your book, like, what would be, like, some of the key lessons that you feel right. like you try to impart on people, whether they're struggling as much as you were or, or, or just trying to figure out where they're going in life? Well, number one, like I said, be, uh, like, find your team. Yeah. And for me, my team is, like, God, my rescue pit, my son, my friends, my, my girl, my like, there's so many places, people at your pub, and they could be your team. You have teams. So be around them, but, but talk to them. Open up now. Every single time I've opened up, it's gotten me closer to every single person I've done it with. And even when I open up, Fox didn't know. I've been there for, this is my 20th year. And their wow. reaction, let's do a town hall meeting with you so everybody else at Fox could, could hear your message. So they won't feel alone here. Like, think about that. People are probably afraid, oh, what's my job going to think? That's what happened. They, they let's put you out. Let's, they Zoom me nationwide. They put me, rented out their theater at Fox. We could do it for all their, you know, all the employees there, which is the reaction I've gotten from everything. Another huge thing for me is to be of service. And I've always started different things. My whole, even when I was broken and broke, I would use whatever I could to help. So, like, even now, like, I'll go with my son to the 99-cent store, and we'll get toothbrush, toothpaste, handy wipes, soap, socks, pad and pen, deodorant, and gloves, and um, hand them out to homeless. It's eight bucks. Doesn't cost a lot, right? And, you know, there's a lot of things you could do. Go volunteer at a shelter. Go yeah. work with dogs if you want. You rescue animals. There's a million ways to be of service. But even like now, when I'm really struggling, I've since learned to 
call four of my friends and tell them, man, I am fucking struggling today. I am like hard to get out of bed. I'm just, I just want to cry forever. I feel like the universe just hates my guts when the universe loves us. And I tell them. But then I call four other people. Don't tell them I'm struggling. And I just check up on them. Mm. And by the time I'm done with that, I'm out of it. Because that's me being of service to four other people. And usually at least two of them will go, that's funny you called today, man. Yeah, I'm going through this thing right now. And I can start helping them. And it just gets my greatest yeah. Great, greatest fears. Yeah, and it's like a, a selfish thing that's so selfless. Right? Yes, funny. absolutely. I guess thinking about a couple final questions as we wrap up, for you, like, has there been an inspirational person, whether friend or not, that's shared their story that sort of made you oh my God, open yeah. up how you started sharing yours? Oh, man. So I get a message from a guy named Keith Madden, and I've had him on my podcast, and Keith writes a message to me, uh, opens up with this was on my way to kill myself in Hilton Heads, South Carolina, but it took a, a wrong turn and came upon your, your book. Sometimes a wrong turn can save your life. If you ever want to hear a story, reach out. Here's my number. And I don't do my own social media anymore because I hate seeing the hate. Yeah. So I have my assistant, Kaylee, over here doing and But I'll have them like go through my DMs and say, hey, you may want to look at this one or that one. And um, I end up reaching out to them. And he said, man, I was just, he's, he's a little bit older than me. And Keith said, I was just done. He said his brother gave him, he said, why don't you, and his brother knew like, hey, you're struggling. His brother had a house in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and, and Keith lives in Clemson. He said, why don't you go down and use my house? He said, I, would, I plan to go down for three days and kill myself on the third day, going to the ocean and drowning myself. Wow. And um, he said, but I had to go stop off for supplies for three days. So he said, I put in for a store, and instead, this GPS took me off and took me to a Target. I wasn't trying to go to Target. He said, so I go through, you know, and I, you know, I get some beer, and I get some towels, and I get some bedding, and this. So I went to the book section, and there's one book just featured right up there. And he said, your book, Unbreakable, my book, the other store he was trying to go to, wasn't carrying my book. Target featured my book for Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh-huh. That's why it was there. And that's the wrong term that he took. And he said, I, I kind of looked at it. He said, I know this dude from TV. And he said, hmm. <laughs> and he started skimming through it. He said, well, I didn't know that about him. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll check this out. He said, I started reading it day two. I almost finished it the night of day two. I woke up, I finished it day three, which is the day I was going to kill myself. I finished your book, I packed up and went home. There's no longer a reason for me to kill myself. He, had, he has since tattooed Be Unbreakable on his forearm. Wow. And he's also now, he's gotten 40 copies. I sent him 25. He bought 15 on his own. And he wrote a note. My name's Keith Madden. I tried to take my own life. This book saved my life. And I'm here to be your teammate if you need it. And gave his phone number and gave this book out to people. Wow. And he hits me up not too long ago and he said, and you can see me, I'm trying to keep it together here yeah. this whole time, but it's fucking hard. Um, and he says, I'm trembling right now. I said, what's up? He said, I'm sitting in a, a restaurant. This woman just walks over me and says, excuse me, are you Keith Madden? And he says, I am. And she kisses him on his cheek and says, thank you for saving me. Wow. That's pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah, and there's been a lot of those stories, man. There's a, 
there was a 16-year-old girl who showed up to an appearance I was doing uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, and I, I now speak for companies and businesses and, and teams, and uh, which I love doing. And this girl's mom had reached out to the foundation I was talking at, asking if she could please come because my book saved her life. And when she showed up, she told me that she started attempting suicide at an earlier age. She was only 16. And because of my book now, she'll never try again. Wow. And she just wanted to show up and, and get a hug. Yeah. And take pictures. And she's just... And so things like that. Like, better than any scoop I could have broken. It's better than any fighter I could have cornered. Better than any line I could have delivered in a TV show. It's been amazing. And I think it's like... I'm praying to God it's just starting. I think that's my... That's, that's what I'm here for. You know, yeah. I, th- I think my pain that I've been through is to help others through theirs. Yeah. And hopefully we could, I don't, you know, I have a friend named Kirstiana said, I don't know if we're going to save this world, but damn sure going to improve it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think seeing the, the impact you can have through the vulnerability, yeah. I think is a powerful thing. Thank so. you, man. Appreciate it, brother. So, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. And, I, and I guess I think I'm a good spokesman for it because I'm not your therapist. I'm <laughs> yeah. not clergy. I'm not your teacher. I'm not your doctor. Yeah. I'm just a dude who's messed up. Who's learned how to be good with his messed upness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the last question we ask everyone is like this name in Mad Happy mm-hmm. represents this like duality of life of like trying to be an optimist despite knowing that you're going to go through tough times for you. Uh, you know, what is something that makes you mad happy? Um, getting these kind of messages, getting somebody to reach out saying my kid had attempted suicide a bunch and I never knew how to talk to him until now. Yeah. Oh my God, does that make me mad happy? But yeah. same right, makes me mad happy when I walk into Unbreakable Performance Center and the whole place goes, Jay! And someone yeah. walks up to me and goes, Oh my God, I was so struggling so much this week in this gym. Made me feel like it just, I forgot I had a yeah. team and I'm, I'm through it. And this is amazing. Thank you so much for creating this place. And, you know, it used to be based on scoops and laughs and now it's based on much, much cooler, bigger, deeper things. Yeah, amazing. Well, well, Jay, thank you so much for coming Thanks on. Thanks for having me on, dude. The link to the podcast, yep. the book, everything. You're my teammate too, too now, yeah. so I appreciate it. Yeah, really appreciate that. And, and thank you everyone for listening. And, and uh, you know where to find Jay. So signing out for now. Thank you all so much for listening. It really means a lot. If you liked it, please leave us a five-star review or share it on your story across your socials. We really appreciate the support as always. And tune in next week for another great episode. Peace. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.